Hello and welcome to another episode of the Stratcom Talks. I'm your host, Jafar Hasnan. Today we will be talking about innovations in biotechnology and how technology has changed the field of medicine. To discuss it with us, joining me today is Nick Bayless. He is the Chief Technology Officer at Centivax. Thank you very much, Nick, for joining us today on this podcast. Jafar, thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. Now, Nick, to start off, tell us a bit more about yourself and your company. Sure. Um, I am uh, an immunologist by training. I did my PhD in immunology, focusing on viral diseases and how viral infections cause disease in different folks in different conditions. I've been interested in, in vaccines um, for pretty much my entire scientific career. Um, it's how I, I got my start in science and in biotech, was working for another um, vaccine developer uh, years ago, and have always just been really passionate about the power of vaccines to affect human health, to eradicate diseases. To me, some of the most impactful uh, stories in, in medicine and in biotechnology are, are the stories of vaccines and how we have eradicated entire viruses that were devastating to populations for the entire length of human history. Um, and uh, right. in, in the last century, we were able to eliminate um, or at least severely reduce a number of diseases, smallpox and polio and, and, and others. And when I was getting my start in, in science, I was I gravitated towards diseases that did not yet have vaccines for them. Um, influenza, we have a seasonal vaccine, but it's not super effective um, in normal years. And it doesn't protect us very well from, from emergent pandemic influenza like we've seen as recently as 2009, um, as well as other diseases that have never had an effective vaccine um, like HIV um, that has a number of, of challenges to getting an effective HIV vaccine um, and one that can generate the right kind of immune memory in patients so that they are you know, protected from contracting HIV. That's been a, a persistent challenge in the field um, and, and something I've been working on and, and, and you know, curious to, to see move forward for, for most of my career. What Centivax does, the company I'm a, I'm a co-founder of and chief technology officer of, um, we are a company founded to work on exactly these problems. Um, we develop what we call broad spectrum uh, vaccines um, and antibody therapies. When we say broad spectrum, I mean, we're not looking to develop strain-specific vaccines the way the seasonal influenza vaccine works now, right? You get you have to get a shot every year because we reformulate it to match the strains that we think are going to circulate around the globe. And hopefully we do a good job with that prediction and we can make a strain-specific vaccine quite quickly and get it uh, distributed, you know, around this time um, to folks all over the world. But it's a it's a cumbersome process to have to be constantly doing that surveillance making vaccines so rapidly and distributing them all over the world, and then only ending up with a vaccine that's partially protective against disease, it's not our best uh, vaccine, and, and there's certainly room for improvement there. And so what we've done is we have developed a technology that lets us focus the immune response um, on parts of the virus that don't change from year to year. Lots of parts of the virus change in each annual uh, strain that comes out. But there are small parts of the, of the virus that don't change from year to year, or really even decade to decade. And we have a technology that lets us focus the immune response on exactly really those parts. 
Very interesting, Nick. I did not know that. Does it also apply to uh, COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2? That's a, that's a great question. Um, when the COVID pandemic first started, we did an analysis and determined that, frankly, at the rate of mutations we were seeing for the first year and a half in the virus, we didn't think our technology was necessary. And we thought that the approaches being taken by Pfizer and Moderna and the, and the other companies that have produced the vaccines would have been sufficient. Um, and what we didn't, what, what I don't think anyone anticipated was the level of mutation that we were going to see come out of, out of this coronavirus. Um, we are now actively designing a uh, pan-coronavirus uh, vaccine that will, that will provide protection, ideally not just from all the COVID variants, but actually from the entire family of beta coronaviruses, which includes the original SARS virus, the MERS virus that emerged seven or eight years ago, um, and would, would apply the same technology we're bringing to influenza to the beta coronavirus family. Yeah. Wow. And when is it likely to come out? So to be honest, uh, we... We had not started, um, we'd, we'd been monitoring, and we have a, uh, an antibody medicine that we're making for, for SARS-CoV-2. So our, our other um, platform is, is working on that. But really with the emergence of the Omicron variant and the, the highly mutated spike protein that the Omicron uh, variant carries, that is where we started to say, you know what, I think our, our broad spectrum vaccine approach might actually be needed and necessary to, to get to the level of immunity that we want. And we, we no longer uh, you know, think that the, that the traditional approaches are, are gonna work. So it's, uh, you know, this, this development process takes quite a while, but we're, we're hoping to, to see some results next year. Um, I, I wish you all the very best uh, with it. I hope it comes out uh, as soon as possible. Now, uh, Nick, <clears throat> vaccines have become a household name these days. Uh, you know, even as a journalist myself, if I'm not mistaken, almost every other day, I read uh, news on the television about vaccines. What I want to ask you here is, how has technology changed modern day vaccines? It's a great question. So like we were talking about, there's you know, been revolution after revolution in biotechnology and molecular biology over the last three decades. And a lot of those have moved the vaccine field forward in incremental ways, what we've really seen in the last year is the explosion of some of these very promising technologies. Number one on the list is, is mRNA. Um, mRNA vaccines have been around in the HIV research field for a decade or two. I mean, people have, people have been really interested in that. It was just um, the big advantage of mRNA is that you can, you can respond rapidly to a novel pathogen. And that had always been the promise of mRNA technology. There had never been a great business case for developing and bringing an mRNA vaccine to market for an existing pathogen because you would be trying to compete against the traditional flu vaccine manufacturers, for example, and they um, you know, have, have had their process figured out for quite a while. This was exactly the kind of scenario that the mRNA folks had been talking about for a decade that they would be best primed to respond to if a new pathogen came out and we needed to make a large amount of vaccine doses for a new pathogen. That's exactly where mRNA was going to shine. And it has been really exciting to watch and see Moderna and BioNTech um, working with Pfizer really take those, um, those technologies all the way through and, and have them be you know, some of the leading vaccines in the world that is, is you know, building on decades and decades of, of preclinical and, and, and early clinical development. Um, so it's really exciting to see that finally reach market. Indeed. And I have to say, their vaccines uh have served as a game changer in this uh, 
uh, coronavirus pandemic. Now, Nick, uh, moving forward, certainly these innovations do not come without any risks, do they? The mRNA technology is actually incredibly safe. Um, and there is virtually no risk of any long-term or short-term side effect. It's it's an RNA construct, which is fairly, it, it, it's what we call unstable. It, it, it degrades fairly quickly. So when you get the mRNA vaccine, your body goes to work producing protein according to those RNA instructions. But the RNA instruction template itself actually gets degraded fairly quickly. There is no possible way it gets integrated into our DNA genome. There's no way it's staying around for, for very long at all. Um, and uh, it's, it's really a very, very safe and effective uh, technology. We um, are, are actively talking to several companies in the, in the RNA space. Our, our vaccine technology was originally developed using a more traditional protein-based approach. But of course, you know, with, with all of the interest in, in RNA technology over the last year, we're, we're actively exploring moving our platform over to the RNA. Okay. Side. Now, Nick, what kind of security protocols, safety protocols uh, do you follow in order to determine that uh, your vaccine is safe? Sure. For our vaccine, we're, we're currently conducting a number of animal studies in pigs and in ferrets. We will additionally conduct studies in other species of animals, possibly in cute, including some you know, rats and, and hamsters and possibly some, some small monkeys um, if, if needed. All of that data, we're looking with a sharp eye for any indication that there's any safety risk, any possible toxicity that would give us pause before going into humans. And then we will apply for permission with the FDA to start a human trial. And we will start in a, in, in a very low dose, very safe way um, in, in healthy volunteers and, and increase our vaccine um, according to a, a, a predefined schedule um, that is vetted with the FDA to ensure absolute safety. We follow up on any patient in a trial for months or years, depending on the nature of the study. Um, so certainly all of the, the, the large scale trials that Pfizer and Moderna have run, those patients in those trials will be followed for, for years to ensure and just right. make absolutely sure that there's no long-term side effects that we need to be worried about. But they're, like I said, these, these technologies are incredibly safe and effective, and it's, it's great to see them come to market. Indeed, they are. And I think we have already seen the results, right? Absolutely. The one, the one problem is, is that even with the RNA, it's still a very strain specific. I mean, we're seeing that now with juiced vaccine efficacy against the Delta strain and now against Omicron. And that's where the Centivax technology, where we have a, a way of creating a broad spectrum vaccine, our technology is, is designed to not see that drop in efficacy when the virus mutates, because we're targeting parts of the virus that don't change. Thank you if I may interject. Now, mm -hmm. I'm no scientist, but as I understand, the vaccine you are making does not uh, produce the spike protein or it does, not, it does not attack the spike protein. Is that, is that, is that how it works? It, it it's still not part of uh, the protein cell of the virus? Right, right. It still, it still does direct the immune system to attack the spike protein, but it's a, like a hyper-focused, targeted attack on a very small part of the spike protein. Lots of the spike protein changes um, from variant to variant, and it makes a lot of little small mutations in the protein that knock out an antibody because if an antibody was going to bind against an area that mutates, it's no longer able to bind, and therefore you're no longer immune to that strain. Our technology generates an antibody response against those parts of the virus that are the same from variant to variant, 
and cannot change for various reasons of viral biology. And therefore, the immune response you get to the Centivax vaccines is going to be broadly protective against any strain that's out there and any variant or mutation that arises in the future. This sounds uh, so promising, Nick. Now, before I let you go, just one last time, summarize it for our listeners. How is your vaccine technology different from the one Pfizer and Moderna are using? So the big innovation that Pfizer and Moderna have made is is using an mRNA technology to deliver the vaccine rather than traditionally we use proteins um, or whole virus um, as, as a vaccine. They're using an mRNA technology to deliver the instructions for making the spike protein. It actually gets made by your, your body's own cells and then your immune Correct. system targets it. Our approach actually is we're not currently using the mRNA uh, technology. Our, all of our experiments so far have been done on just protein, um, like many traditional vaccines have been done. What we do is we take a number of different variants of the virus and we mix them together and inject them at a low, uh, low concentration of a pretty small dose compared to what's out there in the, in the commercial vaccines. And that allows the immune system to pick up only on making antibodies that are going to be completely cross-protective of all the different strains that are, that are out there. Wow. So, so, so yeah. I have to say, and I wish you and your company all the very best uh, with it. Just one last question, because this is the main theme of our discussion today. Since you are working in the industry of uh, biotechnology, you have witnessed all this innovation yourself. You are working on one on uh, yourself as well. So tell me, how do you think technology is going to change uh, the future of healthcare and uh, different fields of medicine? Sure. I mean, our ability to generate biological data um, has, has increased faster than, than the speed of computers or any other metric. We can sequence the human genome for less than $1,000 today. That was a you know, million-dollar proposition 10 years ago. The advances in, in sequencing costs, they, I mean, they've, they've dropped to almost commodity prices. That allows us to do far more computational work leading into our experimental designs. And so each experiment we do is now driven by vast amounts of data that we didn't have access to even five, 10 years ago that inform every experimental design and every vaccine design that we do is absolutely all built on the back of, of how available um, sequencing data and genomic data has, has become. And I think you're going to see that all across healthcare. With the, um, there's, there's really incredible work being done on, on data in healthcare in terms of extracting information from patient records and, and doing large-scale um, real-world research, taking advantage of, of all the data that's now being stored in the cloud and, and in standardized medical record formats. Things like that are going to really accelerate personalized medicine even faster, I think, over the next five or 10 years. All right, uh, Nick uh, Bayless, thank you very much for taking out the time for this uh, podcast. Uh, I really appreciate your analysis. Of course. Jafar, always good to talk to you. Thanks so much.